Mikey's Comics. Hey, Michael. Yeah. Have you heard this? Yeah. Oh. Hey, Andrew, this is John and Jimmy Palmiotti. How are you, buddy? Jimmy. Yeah, he kind of forgets his own name, doesn't yeah, he? He does. But Jimmy Pamiotti said hello. Jimmy Pamiotti. Yeah. To us. Yeah. He doesn't know us. Nope. But he said hello to us. Yes, he did. Well, he said hello to me. He said hello to you. Yeah. But that's still pretty cool. Yes. Thank you to Mr. Steve J. Rogers for that. That was awesome, mm-hmm. wasn't it? That's, we're going to have to put that at the beginning of every episode. Are we? Yeah. Jimmy Pamiotti. So we've got both of the ones that are done... We got done directly for our show. No, no, we, we only used them a couple of times. We don't like to brag that we hang around with the Glitterati. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> the Glitterati. Hanging out, having a pint with them. Oh, hanging out with Neil and the Dream King. Oh, hello, everybody. Yeah, you people. Welcome to Hey Kids Comics. We're famous comic people. Send us messages. Jimmy Pamiati. Yeah. That was awesome. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And today... It's our duology in three parts as we continue looking at Maximum Carnage. Which is a chore. Is it? You two, this was something that you were like, yeah, okay. What? And now you've changed your mind. I have. Alright, fair enough. Is it, why is it a duology in three parts? Because in my little notebook, Maximum Carnage, with Amazing Spider-Man 100 on the cover. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Because you don't like to brag. No, no, no. Um, my Maximum Carnage is only two. Yeah. Which means we now need to come up with another episode for the 15th of November. Because it scotches all of my plans. Mm. But we can't mess anything else up because it messes up the 100th episode. It does. So, maybe we should just do an audio commentary for Superman 3. Okay. Actually, that'd be really fun. For you, I don't like Superman 3. Oh, but you could sit there moaning. But it's so boring until you get to the... You've made me sit through Frank Quitley and Grant Morrison. You can sit through Superman 3 you for You enjoyed me. it. The thing with Superman 3 is I dislike it. And then it gets the bit with Brainiac, which has always terrified me since I was a child. So, okay, let's sit reason. through Superman 3. All the more reason to do that. I think that's an awesome idea. That could be our, our November 5th Halloween episode for the year because it freaked you Come out. Brainiac. It'll It'll come out after Halloween and November the 5th, but yeah. whatever. Brainiac. And it's nothing to do with November the 5th. No. Gun that's powder, treason and plot. Yes, that's, yeah. that's a, good, a good point. Um, this week, we have the email that we postponed from last week yeah. from Mr. Luke Giaconetta because we skipped over to his War Stories email. We did. Because it was the awesome. And now we're going back a bit. And now we're going back a bit. Two uh, steps forward, one step back. Indeed. That pretty much describes the show, to be honest with you. Um, the subject heading, Peter David and Garth Ennis, like pickles and ice cream, which is to say pregnant women have been known to enjoy both. At the same time. God, I hope not. That's just um, that's just a little bit much, isn't it? Greetings, my friends from the North. And I don't mean North Carolina in this context. Greetings, Luke. Hello. As the father of two, I feel confident in the statement which I made in the subject line. My wife was very accommodating during both pregnancies and craved food which I also enjoyed. Which means I got to eat them as well. So score one for Luke on that front. Oh, your mum was wacky. When, when she was pregnant with you, it was all about the strawberry milkshakes oh, that's from funny. McDonald's. That's very good. I had the, there was once, it was late on, late one night, like 11, 12 o'clock at night. I need a strawberry milkshake now. That was Adam. Was that Adam? All right, so it was Adam was the strawberry milkshake. Well, so what was, what was so Michael? Where do I get it from? Then? Michael was ready salted crisp red. ice lollies and water. So you at were ready to No, yes. Like you're the no, 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 no. At the same time, she would sit there with a bag of lettuce, and, and lettuce was Adam. So what was Michael? She's a lolly. I 
Chris lollies. Ready salty Ready crisps. crisps. And water. And water. That was meals. And then what was Anya? Rice cakes. Rice cakes. Rice cakes yeah, rice cakes, cakes with Anya. Which explains why she's a, a free kick. Oh, can I have some? No! <laughs> so we understand what you're talking about there, Luke, because we had wacky pregnancy food as well. I didn't. I, 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 and I, why did Luke have wacky pregnancy food? Spawn to wacky His wife had wacky pregnancy food. <laughs> Luke himself. But Luke got to enjoy the pregnancy food because she craved stuff that he liked. What happens if you crave whiskey? Why are you pregnant? <laughs> you're doomed. <laughs> That's just not... Your not. baby's going to come out hiccuping. <laughs> <laughs> like Barney from The Simpsons. <laughs> he comes out the womb with a big brag. <laughs> that would be the greatest birth note to man. It would, yeah. Anyway, Luke's emails continues. Since my email about Peter David evidently disappeared into the ether, it did, we never got it. No. I'll offer some thoughts on his work as well as the work of Garth Ennis. My introduction to Peter David may be one of the more bizarre introductions to a comics creator ever. Before I had ever read a comic written by David, I was aware of who he was. Let me set the stage. It's 1993, and my teenage, that's for Stephen, self is happily entering the insanity of the early 90s comic scene as a burgeoning reader. In an issue of Wizard, there's a column by one of the few comics creators I am familiar with, Todd McFarlane, where he talks about the importance of mature storytelling in comics and how leaving Marvel... Marvel? <laughs> and how leaving Marvel to help form Image has helped that maturity reach a wide audience. Oh yeah, because Bond... <laughs> Sure. That's the most inadvertently funny thing I've ever heard Todd McFarlane say. Because yeah. Spawn was maturity. Oh, it so was. Maturity is its own reward. It was. A response would be forthcoming from a guy named Peter David, who I think I knew was writing The Hulk, as well as a series titled Saxon Violins, which Wizard had also hyped. David argued that mature storytelling was not simply displaying graphic violence and using the word caca. McFarlane used caca very frequently in the early days of Spawn. How is caca mature? Al Calarici used to say caca in Quantum Leap, didn't he? Did it? I think so. And that while he agreed that there is always a place for mature written comics, the kind of stuff you see in Spawn was not really mature, but rather adolescent. Was this the prompted 90s. it was the nineties, yes. This prompted a response from McFarlane in the form of a pair of photocopies of the sale figures from the previous month, showing Spawn as the number one book, with Saxon violins somewhere in the two hundreds and both circled in red marker. Classy guy but that's Todd not McFarlane. Exactly isn't he? Response. You can't use sales as a way of proving maturity in comics. And that you're a mature storyteller because yeah. your book's at number one. Let's look at the top ten rated television shows at the moment, should we? Mm. And see which are the better ones. The better ones probably aren't in the top probably ten. Probably not. Apart from The Walking Dead, which is apparently doing very well at the minute. Is it? Yeah. David's response the month after that was about as polite an evisceration as I had ever seen, jabbing at McFarlane about what maturity meant, while constantly reminding his opponent that he, David, never brought up sales figures, and that sales figures were completely irrelevant to this discussion. He tore him apart for an entire page, but with his rapier-like wit rather than aggrandising boasts like McFarlane. From that point on, I knew that this Peter David fellow was a smart cookie. This anecdote also reminds me of a little of a cartoon I saw once titled Saxon Valiance, which had a few of the Valiant comic superheroes playing saxophones. <laughs> Talk about irrelevant. <laughs> and Luke said that, that wasn't me yeah. saying tangents. That sounds actually quite funny, I want to look it does, up. It's quite, did, you, did you look up Max Landis' Death of Superman video? I did not. Ah, right, okay, well we can't talk about that then. Okay, so let's I'll bring on. myself to do it later then. Alright, since then, 
continues, Luke, I've read many comics by Peter David, including Hulk, Aquaman, Supergirl, X-Factor, the original one, the first David stuff I ever read, although I came on right before he left, and so on and so forth. I've also read some of his novels and other work. When you get down to the brass tacks of it, compared to anyone else who writes for the comics industry, I put Peter David over pretty much anyone else as a straight-up writer. He can write any genre, any kind of story, in any medium and make it work, make it engaging and make it a pleasure. I don't know of any other comics writer with the breadth that David has, the ability to move laterally from one genre to another, one medium to another and make it all work so well. Couple that with his knack for taking existing characters and continually, organically evolving them, and you have a recipe which is easy to admire but nigh impossible to accomplish. The Hulk is a clear example of this. A character which really can be taken as a very one-note sort of archetypical character was transformed, pun intended, under David's pen into a hugely complex character. And he never seemed to run out of things to say with the Hulk or situations to put him in. Twelve years is sheer insanity when it comes to a comic book run. That those twelve years would involve as many twists and turns and changes and reveals as David's Hulk, well, now that's entering the realm of the mythological. David, on the other hand, is something of an enigma to me. Garth Ennis. Ennis, on the other hand, is something of an enigma to me. I'm partway through the Ennis episode, and I hope to have a better appreciation of his stuff by the time I'm done listening to it. I remember when Preacher was released, and the amount of hype and praise was heaped upon it. The premise did not sound interesting to me, so I let it pass and never gave it much thought. I'm more familiar with his work on The Punisher, although please don't mistake more familiar with Like. Mm-hmm. There's some really good stuff in there. I always appreciate a moment where Frank is tangling with Daredevil, and Frank thinks to himself, I'm no match for this guy never have been, and winds up playing dirty in order to escape. But some of the other stuff from Welcome Back Frank is as ridiculous as to be almost parody. I never bought into the whole everyone around Frank is insane argument because it contradicts everything which came before Welcome Back Frank. And all of this ridiculous comedy served to make the Punisher laughable as far as I'm concerned. Which is the feeling I get from a lot of his work, that Ennis is laughing at the reader for enjoying something, so he's going to make it as ridiculous as possible. I don't know if that's an accurate assessment, but it's a gut feeling I get when I read his stuff. It's Pretty a good assessment on a lot of some of his stuff. I was going to say it's partially accurate. Yeah. If he's been forced to work in the cre- in the work for higher medium, and they're forcing a superhero crossover on him, yeah. then that's a very accurate assessment of the situation. But again, with the exception of that Superman issue that he did of Hitman, which yeah. which Superman got off pretty lightly yeah. compared to how Ennis treats other superheroes. If he's working on his own stuff, like the Punisher Max stuff. Yeah. And he's left alone, then that's normally pretty straight and pretty gritty and pretty yeah. good stuff. I still heartily recommend Preacher and certainly War Stories to anyone who likes Garth Ennis's stuff. Nah, Preacher's a hoot. Preacher's a hoot and a half. Yeah. Don't get me started on the authority or the inane scrap heap quality imitations that book caused. The Ennis stuff or the Ellis stuff? Yeah, I think he did mention in his other email, he mentioned he mixed Ellis with Warren, Warren Ellis with Garth Ennis, didn't he? Because yeah. as far as I know, Garth Ennis never wrote The Authority, yes, did he? Yes, he did. He did the Kev miniseries. And three one-offs. Oh, did he? About Kev, yeah. Right, okay. So, but, but he never actually the wrote stuff. The Authority itself. Yeah. Right, okay. I will give the devil his due, though. Hitman is pretty damn good. My biggest Ennis complaint is not really a fur one, because it was not something he had anything to do with. In Wizard 200, they had a countdown of the top 200 characters of all time, which in and of itself is fine. But this particular detail jumped out at me, as so beyond stupid I nearly threw the magazine across the room. In this top 200 list, 31 was Tulip O'Hare, 26 was Cassidy, and 14 was Jesse Custer. Begin rant. Are you serious, bro? Really? Wizard? Really? All three of them deserve to be in the top 50 characters 
of all time. And not only all three of them deserve to be in the top 50, but ahead of characters such as Iron Man, Conan, Silver Surfer, Yuzaji Yujimbo, Green Arrow, Luke Cage, Thor, Punisher, Hal Jordan, Hawkeye, Darkseid, J. Jonah Jameson, Cerebrus the Aardvark, Tim Drake, Red Skull, Loki, Destro, Black Canary, Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, Human Torch, Invisible Woman, She-Hulk, Cyclops, Blade, Rogue, Hawkman, Catwoman, Kingpin, Lois Lane, Namor, Storm, Vision, Mary Jane Watson, Electra, Nightcrawler, Gru the Wanderer, Hitman, Aquaman, Jimmy Olsen, War Machine, Booster Girl, Black Widow, Juggernaut, Ultron, and Rachel Ghoul. Birthday Party, Cheese Pate, Jelly Bean, Boom. <laughs> he does have a point, though. I mean, only 14 for Jesse? He, he has an exception. I, I have no objection to Jesse being in the list. Yeah. The other two just smack of, we love Preacher and we're just going to put them in. I don't think Cassidy and certainly Tulip deserve to be in the best 200 characters of all time. Sorry, 50 characters of all time. Above... Green yeah, Lantern or Deathstroke or well maybe but Deathstroke I don't know certainly not over Rachel Goo Rachel Goo okay so why these lists are always subjective yes any wizard list is to be taken with a huge gob of salt yes I think not as much as IGN list though no oh god no <laughs> end rant Although I'm out of steam after that, I do want to add, however, that I've really enjoyed Spotlight on so far and would not be upset if you guys did another round of this next year. Thanks for listening to my insanity once again. Luke, we're very, we like listening to your insanity. Yeah. We're all mad here. It helps. <laughs> P.S. Still reading the Judas contract. At this point, I am literally screaming at the pages for someone, Donna, Cyborg, Terror, anyone, to punch Brother Blood in the face! Arg. See, I didn't read. The, I didn't. I didn't read the blood, brother blood issues. Yeah. Before I read the Judas contract, so I don't remember him being that irritating. But you know, thank you for emailing in, Luke. We do have another one from Luke, but again, that will get carried over to next week, so that we don't go over the thirty-minute. Oh, got the microphone over. Our next email is from Damien. Hello, Damien Lee. Say hello to Damien. Hello, Damien. <laughs> Try to sound a little more interested. Hi, Damien. <laughs> That's better. Afternoon, Mr. and Master Layla. Afternoon, I'm actually a Mr. now, actually. It, it would yes, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, because you've turned 17. Yeah. Okay. God damn, I've turned 17. So we're Mr. and Mr. Yeah. Mr. and Mr. Leyland. That sounds like a 70s detective show. We could so be a detective duo. Yeah. With our hats. Slick. And two Shrew Freaks t-shirts. Yeah, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm down with that. We need to pay Scott and Crystal. Oh, yeah, we'd have to give them a royalty payment. Damien's email continues. Long time listener, first time writer, as they say. Your always entertaining work was suggested to be my Mike Bailey over at From Crisis to Crisis. Oh, well, Mike doesn't want royalty as payments as well. <laughs> when I bemoaned a lack of comics fans in my part of the world to share my love of the medium with, and I've loved it ever since. Oh, thank you. Thanks to Mike for plugging us. Thank you to you for listening. I wonder what episodes he started with. I don't know, better be a good one. I started with your Secret Wars trilogy. Hey! Oh, no, the Secret Wars episodes were three of the best we've ever done. Can't have done many good ones, though. No, we've not, but I still think (laughs) those are the top of the dung heap. Okay. In my opinion. Are they the polished turds? Yeah, they're the polished (laughs) turds. Which I was already rereading, weirdly. And I have been listening to new and re-released episodes ever since. Probably the greatest thing I get from your show is a feeling that other people love this stuff. As you've said, reading comics inherently makes you a minority. But as with all the people I know who love them, they seem to have outgrown them. It feels a very small minority these days. Um, yeah, one of the things I do hope that comes across mm-hmm. is the show is about the comics. 
Right. We're here, but the show's not about us. No. The show is about the comic Otherwise books. it's called Hey Kids, Michael and Andrew. Yeah, hey, otherwise it's just self-aggrandizing. Well. I'm, 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 not, I'm not really down with that. But the, the comics that we pick, by and large we don't pick stuff that we don't like. We're, the whole well. point of this is I want us to be positive. I want it to be a very positive show. Yeah. That's not to say we don't rip the piss out of stuff when we think it deserves it. We, we, we rip the out of it in a positive light. I think so. Yeah. I don't think we've ever ripped the piss out of something mercilessly and for our own petty amusement. I but like it amuses us to do it. It does amuse us to do it, but at the same time, I like even with what we're covering at the minute, I am happy to point out where it's good. Very little yeah. bits of it. Yes, yes, there, there is that, but we'll come to that later. So, I, yeah, the whole other people like what I like thing is great. Yep. It's doubly pleasing when other people like other stuff you like. Yeah. Like when you find out that there are other people in the world who think that the original Star Trek is the best. And all the other stuff that followed it is alright, but it's it's not as good, yeah. is it? So yes, we appreciate that, Damon. It means we have partially succeeded in what we set out. But to only do. partially. Only partially, there's still a way to go. Our five year crusade still goes on. Is that how long you want to do the show for a five year mission? That was doing Star Trek. I know you were. <laughs> our Star Trek goes on forever. Those are actually the words to the Star Trek thing. Well, Star Trek goes on forever. Star Trek. No, it's beyond the rim of starlight. It's true, this. Is My it? love wanders in a star flight. I know he'll find in star clustered reaches. Love, strange love, a star woman teaches. Doesn't scan very well. Thank God this was an instrumental. I know his journey ends near. That's terrible. His Star Trek will go on forever. That's also terrible. And why he wanders his story see. Remember, remember me. It sounds more like a romance than Star Trek. <laughs> the lyrics are terrible, aren't they? Yeah. There are dogs all over the neighborhood that have just gone wild. <laughs> Oh, and you thought the singing had gone. But no, it's back with a vengeance. Triumphantly. I don't know about that. No. <laughs> it's kind of like a lame dog. It's come, it's come hobbling back in, its back leg hanging off because it's been attacked by a wolf. Like the dog in To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot it, Atticus. <laughs> it's singing. Put him out of his misery. Damn it, heck, it's throwing me off. Shoot it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Damien. I didn't mean to take your email down that particular alleyway. <laughs> Damien's email continues. As I'm on the wrong side of 30, tuh, wish I was on the wrong side of 30, I seem to share a fair amount of comics history with Daddy Leyland, making your spotlights often almost eerily close to hearing someone read my mind aloud on the internet. I love the Burns FF and David's Hulk in particular. Can you read my mind? More music, which was do better you know left instrumental. No, it's do you know what it is you do to me? Do you want me to stop that? Yeah. <laughs> Judging by your facial expression, I'm like, please don't sing all of Can You Read My Mind, please. Please, Dad. I thought you professed to love me. Why do you do this? Damien's email continues, <laughs> hopefully with no more musical interlude. Well. I am taking positive action on behalf of the big two, though, as I introduce comics to my classroom, primary school, and the children seem to absolutely love them. Yes, they do, despite what Quizada said. 
kids love comics. It's so sad that most of them had literally never seen a superhero comic before last month. After all, much of my vocabulary was passed on to me by Clermont, Byrne, David, Lee, Michelini and others. Of course, I'm carefully selecting comics from pre-1990, as from around 1993, blood and violence became all too prevalent, even in primary coloured superhero stuff. I'm also currently calculating a love of comics with my seven-year-old daughter, and look forward to starting a podcast with her in about seven years. I look forward to listening to that. Yeah. If I don't wait seven years, damn, I mean, do it now. Yeah. Get her on the show now. That's what I want to say. Um, yeah, kids love comics. They okay. do. They re- I, I recommended Amazing Fantasy 15 in a back and forth email that we had because I think that's incredibly powerful for kids. Because one of kids' greatest fears is the loss of their parents. To actually discover that they were responsible for the loss of their parents is very powerful stuff for a child. Well done. I feel like scum now. I thought that story was quite dull. That's because you have no clue. Anyway, I really want to say I love the show, love that you've created a cross-generational love of the medium, and look forward to every new episode. Gratefully yours, Damien. Thank you very much, Damien. That was a much appreciated email. We appreciate you should have given him Morrison. No, no. D- whatever you do, Damien, <laughs> do not expose your primary school children to Grant Morrison in any way. Oh, you end up with children like me. Maybe I'll start Superman. Yeah. Possibly, but I'd, just, I'd give him Silver Age Superman before I give him any Grant Morrison stuff. Yes. That's, but that's just me. That's it for emails this week. We do have a couple of bits of business that I need to mention. Where I haul myself out. Oh, okay. Are you ready for this? Go on then. Okay. Over the past couple of weeks, even though both these episodes went live this week, they weren't recorded in the same week. Right. I had the pleasure and the privilege to sit down and talk to two, count them, two yes. <laughs> podcasting luminaries. Okay. First of all, I sat down with Mr. Michael Bailey to discuss Batman 400 for Bailey's Batman podcast. You did that on my birthday, didn't you? Was that on your birthday? I think so. I think so, yeah, because you'd gone out with Les, hadn't you? Yes. Yes, we'd had cake. Yes, cake is always nice. That is up now. Bailey's Batman podcast is a great show. Go and check it out. That really is a Batman podcast. Mm -hmm. Unlike us, we only pretend occasionally to to be be a Batman Batman podcast. (laughs) And then every once in a while we'll do something about someone else. Yeah, every now and again we'll we'll cover something esoteric just to to show people that that there are more to comics than Batman. But then we will always go back to Gotham City. Yes. Because it's about, was it 17 miles away on the sign in the TV show? I, I can't remember. 17 miles. Batman really has shows a crap place to... <laughs> to live. Was yeah. it Gotham City 5 miles? Was it? Either I, way, I it's still a trek away. The criminals should have buggered <laughs> off by the time he gets there. <laughs> Probably. Our second um, podcasting luminate was the mighty J. David Wheater, who yes. I spoke to for well, about four hours, ostensibly for his Pad Smash show, yeah. all about the 50th anniversary of the Hulk. We did that not very much talking about the Hulk... Okay. For which I apologise. We went off on many different tangents. Yeah. Primarily about Firefly. Well, it's well, a good thing to have a tangent. About. It is, it is. It's always nice to, to talk about Firefly with anybody. So you can go and check those two out. I would gratefully appreciate it if you gave those two fine gentlemen mm-hmm. your patronage. If I you're not already. I also out what else you did with your Halloween show. What Halloween show? The one where you did um, that post or. Oh, that's, that's. Oh, yes. Coming up at Halloween. When, when does this one go up? Do we say it was the tenth, the first of the tenth? Yeah, this will be the first of the eleventh. Yeah. Uh, also, I recorded this ages ago, but it should have just gone up live right now. I did a special little Halloween thing. You did a cameo. Yes, with Mr. Sean Engel. Yeah. Where we did an Edgar Allan Poe story together. 
<laughs> so I'm hoping that that comes out alright. Obviously, I've not heard that yet. Yeah. I'm hoping it, it's, it's okay. When I read that email, I was like, oh, wow, he's doing Lovecraft. Oh, wow, he chose Dagon. Oh, oh you're doing Poe. <laughs> and I did proper thesping. Did you? Oh, yeah, I really buried myself in the part for that one. Okay. I'd love to have been a crap I actor. heard your several attempts. I, I got it all in one take, dude. <laughs> One take, me. Just imagine Sean going, no, again, again. I'm, I'm method. <laughs> I get it all in one go. I don't need multiple takes. Oh, I'm no. in the zone. I'm the character. I am Nicolas Cage. I'm in character all the time. I know what I'm doing. I know a, my B, C, <laughs> Put it in the right file. Put you know. the bunny back in the box. Anyway, um, after that, oh, and also I, I do fantastic cast. That yeah. still goes out. Regularly, I believe. I don't think you, you don't record it regularly. We do. We, we record it regularly. Okay. Okay. So that's it. Uh, we're going to have a break. We're going to plug some shows that I think you should listen to, and we'll be back in a minute. Let's get a drink. Well, hello there. I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. Come in, enjoy my palatial arctic estate. Ah, I see you notice the smell of mahogany and my hardback archive and showcase editions. Yeah, I do alright for myself. Listen, why don't you get cozy here with me on my titano skin rug while Motello mixes us up a drinky drink. Motello, soda cola martini, shaken. Look, I want you to come with me to a place. A place where it's only you and me and the Man of Steel, maybe Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane? Wait, wait, where are you going? No, this isn't me coming on to you. This is a podcast promo. What I'm trying to propose is joining me weekly like Clark Kent did when he threw the green crystal into the water and saw Marlon Brando's giant head appear. Only in podcast form and my head just won't even be visible because it is an audio medium. Once a week, delve into the world of Superman with me on Superman Forever Radio. Look at comics, toy lines, TV series, characters, creators, anything and everything connected to the Man of Steel. Every Sunday at supermanforever.com, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Superman Forever Radio, fighting for truth and justice forever. That's supermanforever.com. See, I didn't mean what you thought I meant. It's all good. And yes, this is a new glowing white Kryptonian robe. Thank you so much for noticing. And yes, that is Lori Lamaris lounging by the pool. Don't tell her, but we're having smoked salmon for dinner and she takes it very personally. And you know who can't take a joke? Terra Man. You get one Glue Factory reference and he's up in arms. Superman Forever Radio. Keeping J. David Weeder off the streets so you don't have to. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? 
Humans make illogical decisions. Covering every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. And we're back. Very good. I like your and we're back. Mm-hmm. Did you bury yourself in the part of, of a man I did. That, who, uh, a radio announcer in the 40s, who on the radio he delivers the and we're back moment when they return from commercial breaks? And we're back. The next tune from the Inkbox. <laughs> A little night music. <laughs> the fog's gonna come rolling in at any minute. Light him if you got him. <laughs> K. Billy sounds of the seventh. <laughs> um, what we do? Oh, Uga, Uga, Uga. <laughs> <Ooh, go. laughs> I can't stop that feeling. Oh, sorry, wrong film. <laughs> you can tell by the way I use my walk. Mm. My pants are too tight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't walk like gorillas. Oh, God. <clears throat> These are the jokes, folks. Get them out of all this in. Oh, yeah. This is comedy gold. It's better than the comics gorillas, this yeah. week. Um, yeah. Maximum Carnage continued from last week. Where so far we have seen Carnage has escaped from Ravenscroft Institute, Ravenscroft Institute, sorry, yeah. and kill lots of people. This week, <laughs> Maximum Carnage. Um, that, that was pickiness aside, pretty much it. Um, then a bunch of guest stars showed up. With no explanation as to who they are. Readily explained reason, and then Venom showed up and took charge, and Spider-Man just kind of became a, a guest star in his own story. And things don't really change much. As we carry on. Venom wears the pants in this relationship. He I certainly seems he to, is. doesn't he? Uh, with part six of Maximum Carnage, which appeared in Web of Spider-Man 102. These comics all moved to a July cover date, but really shipped on May the 4th Be With You, 1993. The cover by Alex Saviuk is another jam session of everybody, and by everybody I mean Spider-Man, Carnage, Venom, Demogoblin, Shriek, Doppelgangbang, Venom, and for some reason Morbius, Fighting. Black Cat sits this one out. I like that the crowd in the background makes it appear that there is jeopardy to civilians on this one. And again, it's fine for what it is. What do you did, think about that? Black Cat break your nails so she has to sit off. No, Venom Brooker nose again. You don't care. What do you like about that one, Michael? It's orange. Yeah, I don't mind the orange. The orange offsets the actual fighting at fighting but stand that's going on. You can't on really the see the crowd there because the orange. No, they, they have rather oddly covered the entire background in orange so there is no definition to the civilian characters in the background maybe Black Cat isn't on there because she found herself underneath the burning warehouse again 
Yeah, possibly. Or maybe she, they're in a mall. Maybe she's shopping. Yeah. Maybe she'd have some new shoes. Mm. Or if I was her, a coat. That costume must be bloody cold. Yeah. Um, Sinking Fast was the subtitle of the issue. It was written by Terry Cavanaugh, penciled by Alex Saviuk, inked by Don Hudson, lettered by Steve Dutro, coloured by Jim Hoston, and edited by Rob Tokar and Danny Fingeroff. Tom DeFalco's the editor-in-chief. Carrion watches as inexplicably New York City burns. From being a serial killer on the loose to a few rioters in the last issue, apparently in the turn of a page, somebody left the gas on, and the entire island is aflame. (laughs) We're left no time to ponder this chain of events, as the story obviously cried out for another supporting character. So, not wishing to disappoint, Kavanaugh gives us Morbius, the living vampire, feeding off a bunch of muggers who, in turn, were attacking a woman and using her for bait. Is this the Bill Hicks sketch where he goes off to England and's like, don't, 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 (laughs) <laughs> do anything without me. L.A. burns the ground. <laughs> hey, when did this happen? <laughs> did I leave a cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> I did not have that in mind when I wrote that, but there are yeah. parallels. Just before Morbius can feed, the Venom Vengeance pack arrived to recruit Morbius to their cause, presumably to feed off the Carnage Collective, but the dialogue's pretty unintelligible here. So we move over to Peter Parker. He's climbing <laughs> in your windows. <laughs> He's bandaging up his ribs and moaning that he really should be resting, but can't whilst carnage is loose. That didn't stop him just rocking up at Aunt May's for a cuppa and a chat in the last issue, but whatevs. MJ, meantime, is at the newest, hippest NY nightclub, The Deep, shaking her thang. When, wouldn't you know, of all the nightclubs in New York, presumably not on fire, the carnage collective hit this one, and the blood runs free with pointless death. Morbius can apparently smell blood over a considerable distance and leads the Venom Vengeance Pack to said nightclub, which Black Cat is able to identify from said great distance, and Spider-Man tracks them all down there thanks to the expositional news network, TM Michael Bailey. More fighting follows. Venom saves MJ, saying this repays the favour he owes Spider, and after Carnage brings the house down, quite literally, Spidey rejoins the Venom Vengeance Pack after saving the civilians once again, vowing that from this moment forth, I will act like Venom. Which is exactly how the last issue ended, more or less, but now with added Morbius. You know, pithiness aside, there really wasn't much of a a synopsis there. There really wasn't much of a story here, was there? Let's be honest. This is just one of, I wouldn't say one, this is one of many spinning wheel issues where the issue ends in pretty much the same way the last issue ended. They're all the same anyway. They're all following the same pattern. They all follow the same template, don't they? The heroes chase Carnage, Carnage gets away. Carnage gets away, chase Carnage, fight. Yeah, repeat until bored. Which Um, we all are, long before now. Michael Morbius was created by Roy Thomas and Gil Kane and first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 101 as a rather tragic figure than more than an out-and-out villain who suffers from vampirism from science rather than being bitten. Because vampirism is a disease now. Uh, it is in the Marvel Universe. Yes. And here's the cure. <laughs> I'm a vampire that didn't kill me. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry about that, mate. Oh, it's fine. I'll heal in a minute. I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer. Page one of Web of Spider-Man 102. I'm presuming Carrion will have something to do with the story at some point. Seems I'm he hoping just so. popped up in the middle of last issue. Just to fly out of the sewer. Yeah. And then, I mean, what does he do for the? I've read everything now except the last issue. Yeah. Chapter 14. Yeah. Why is he here? Maybe in the last issue he kills Carnage. Uh, No, in in chapter 13 something does actually happen concerning Carrion. 
Does, it, does he have a speaking line? Yeah, but there's, there's an awful lot of um, there's an awful lot of maximum before you get to the carnage. Fair enough. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. There's an awful lot of carnage before, before you get, get to the, the maximum. maximum. <laughs> um, where were we? Um, I mean, I'm also presuming Black Cat, Morbius, Shriek, Cloak and Dagger, the Demogoblin, and Doppelganger will have some purpose soon. I'm hoping so. Maybe I shouldn't hold my breath. Uh, pages two and three. Morbius has lovely red fingernails. Doesn't he? Lovely red varnish. Yeah. He's very goth, Mm. I thought. I thought that was very nice. Um, Were the hoods luring Morbius in on this page or mugging the pregnant woman? I did not understand this at all. I didn't understand it. It's maximum kind if I let it go. Uh, Because they actually say she makes for great bait. Bait for what? Well, yeah, were they baiting him? But why were they were they deliberately baiting Morbius? Why on earth would you lure Morbius or anybody like that? It doesn't end well for them. Yeah. I don't understand what their point was. If they were mugging her and Morbius has swooped in to save her, that's one thing. But the dialogue just makes it confused. She makes great bait. What? What? No. It made no sense. I'm sorry, but it did. Unless the film and another... NBC News special to catch a predator. <laughs> Starring Michael Morbius. Uh, page four. What exactly does Venom need Morbius for? Does he want him to kill Carnage and company? But that makes no sense either because Venom, Venom wants to kill Carnage. Yeah. Uh, so if that's what Venom wants, why does he need Morbius? Especially seeing as then Black Cat says, nobody needs to die. Surely the whole point of cre- recruiting Morbius is to kill Carnage. I really didn't... Am I missing something from the Byzantine nature of the plotting going on here? You're missing this this, such very elaborate plot going on. I mean, there is so many different plot strands going on in this story. It's very hard to keep them all on track as to... Oh, no, wait a minute. It's just linear bollocks, isn't it? There's no subplots or anything. So I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand why Venom needs Morbius, other than in the 90s Morbius was popular. So let's throw another character into the story. Wait a minute, where's, where's Spider-Man? Isn't, isn't his name on the cover of the book? Oh, no. Um, page six, speaking of Spider-Man, Peter Parker <laughs> looks like he's curling one out. <laughs> doesn't he? That really looks like toilet face, doesn't it? That really looks like he's got a, a humongous excrement just kind of dangling and waiting to, to hit open air. But it's just not coming. It's a dreadful piece of art. I know it's supposed to be pain. That's not what it looks like. I mean, it could be pain, but pain of a different stripe, I suppose. A horse of another colour and all that stuff. Um, Our podcast just became one about poo. Yeah, it's shocking that, isn't it? I do apologise, people who listen with the children. But kids find poo funny. Kids find poo hysterical. I still find poo hysterical. There you go. I still find fart gags hysterical. It's just me. Page seven. There are paparazzi at the deep nightclub. And Murray Jane, at this point in continuity, is a moderately famous actress and TV personality, thanks to her appearances on the soap opera Secret Hospital. Surely is it like these... in a back alley where they do abortions. <laughs> that would make a very interesting soap opera. Surely these pictures of her dancing the night away in the nightclub without her husband yeah. will lead to married speculation in the gossip brags. Mm. And Murray Jane's extremely flirty here. Well, it's like, woman. oh, my husband's out saving lives, and I'm really annoyed at him, so I'm going to flirt with other guys and 
This was a, a standard character trope for MJ at this point because they didn't know what to do with her. Uh, so he's out being Spider-Man so she goes out clubbing on her own. Mary, Mary Jane is usually a likeable character. I just find myself not liking her here. They did quite a lot of that after the marriage. It's it's more it's more fuel for my fire that once they got married suddenly the writers didn't know what to do. There are exceptions to that before somebody writes in and says, well, what about this issue with this? Happened? Yes, there were exceptions to that. Di Matteis and Straczynski did a decent job with the marriage but for the most part it was all this Peter's out being Spider-Man so Mary Jane goes out clubbing and moaning yeah and it doesn't make you feel sympathetic to either one of them yeah because A Peter should be at home with his wife yeah not causing his wife to have to go out clubbing to have some fun because her husband should be taking care of that for her but no Peter's off being Spider-Man it's just terrible 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 um I mean, because she is married to the most inattentive man in this story since Sheldon Cooper. It's absolutely appalling. Peter's a terrible husband. Well, I'm sure the irony's lost on her that, you know, after her yelling at Peter for being Spider-Man when Carnage is killing people and he's in danger, she's actually the one in danger here. Mm, yeah, but she wouldn't be there if he was an attentive husband. Okay. I can see her point totally. New York's teeming with superheroes. Hell, this story. They're not in this story, though. Well, as the story goes along, you get more and more and more of them. They're all C D listers. No, Captain America isn't. When he shows up, Iron Fist. When he shows up, him showing up is the most useless, uncharacteristically moment ever. And do you know what he does for the rest of the story? Go on. Bugger all. Absolutely nothing. You know the shield that's made out of the strongest metal in the world. There's a funny bit where isn't he, clubs, it like a... he clubs a civilian with his shield. That bit was funny. Does it? Yeah. Isn't he going for president now? Uh, yeah, I did the ultimate continuity. I pay no attention to that. Um, Timeline-wise, I thought this issue was a bit squiffy as well. <laughs> squiffy? Yeah, what's everyone been doing all day? Partying. Alright, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'll give Kavanaugh credit. Having the paparazzi at the nightclub does give a reason for the expositional news network to be on in Times Square so Spider-Man can actually find them. But Morbius being able to smell blood over huge distances seemed incredibly dumb. Well, I mean, would he not smell blood anywhere? Well, see, I know sharks can smell blood at a distance of a quarter of a mile. But they're in the ocean, there isn't much blood there anyway. But he's well over a quarter of a mile away when he sniffs mm. the blood that's been run free at the deep. And then, and but even dumber, Black Cat knowing the location from that extremely vague description. There's blood over there. Take us to the deep. Yeah, it's very tenuous, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's Unless they have a sign, a great big neon sign. It says, <laughs> Carnage <deep>. is here. <laughs> yeah. um, page 12, a hunk of granite falls on Murray Jane's head and causes neither concussion or even a slight cut. Which I found a bit strange. It's buggy power. Is that what it is? How do you make a Kleenex dance? How? Put a little buggy in it. Uh, uh, page 13. Venom licking Mary Jane's face is icky. Just a bit. Isn't it? If I was Peter and he did that to my wife, I'd have drop kicked him all the way back to the Beyonders homeworld. Yeah. I don't but, care that we're on the same side. Back off. But wasn't Mary Jane absolutely terrified of Venom when he first showed up? Yeah, now he's... Well, she says that... Ah! So she's not enjoying it. Well, so that's a, a consistent. She doesn't seem to be fighting. She was flirting with those other guys as well. Yeah, it's a consistent piece of characterisation, I suppose. Um, speaking of which, Black Cat calls him Spider Stud. 
In front of his wife. In front of his wife. Surely Mary Jane would have had something to say about that. So what we've got here then is we've got Spider-Man beating the crap out of Venom for licking his wife's face. Yeah. And then Mary Jane scratching the black cat's eyes out for calling her husband stud. All the but time, then, Carnage gets away. But then Peter hitting his wife again for going off down he to never the did it. with other guys. It didn't happen. It happened. We all saw it. It didn't happen. <laughs> the criticisms I had of the last Kavanaugh penned issue apply exactly the same to this issue. The dialogue, especially cloaks, is really melodramatic and over the top. My primary beef with this issue is that it, it doesn't further the plot in any way. Like Michael said, not one jot. Spidey ends the issue in pretty much the exact same place as last time. We basically get another fight that just kills time and page count. They didn't even follow up the ending for last time. No, they didn't. There will be no more Spider-Man. There will be no more Mercy. I'm just going to swing around. Hey, let's carnage. Yeah, how you doing, man? How you doing there? Let's go, let's check out this nightclub, dude. Yeah. And no, it was just... I mean, every time Carnage fights Venom or Spider-Man at this point, it's been a stalemate. And there's no sense of jeopardy for either side. Sure, people are dying, but no one important. <laughs> Lots of red shirts are being killed, so who cares? It's like showing us death and carnage is meaningless if A, the writing doesn't make us care, and B, it's done in such a casual and offhand way. So far, Maximum Carnage hasn't been about anything. Mm. Now, I suppose you could argue a point that that's the point, because carnage represents chaos. So this is the nightfall of the Marvel world. Well, no, Nightfall was about something. The Night's Quest, then. Night's Quest was about something. There's a bit of characterisation where Spidey insists they help the nightclub patrons rather than follow Carnage. Although why they couldn't split up, Mm. I didn't understand. But it's immediately undone on the next page where Spidey will work with Venom, but not with Morbius. Again, (laughs) what? Morbius can't help what he is. Yeah. Morbius is a tragic character. Venom revels in what he is, but Spider-Man will work with him, yeah. but not with Morbius. Eh? <laughs> this made no sense. It's a bit of prejudice going on there. I'll work with that guy who almost tried to kill me I'll work with times. the murderer? Yeah. I won't work with Morbius. No. <laughs> um, the ads in this one are perfunctory as well, aren't they? Tiny Toons Adventures got a Konami. Mario Brothers gets a film. Uh, the bullpen bulletins is brilliant. The Bullpen Bulletins is all about the FF movie that was released in 1993 and had Alex Hyde White as Reed Richards, who dropped into the bullpen for a chat. I find it amusing that both times that Reed Richards has been portrayed on screen in live action, he's been played by a British actor. Okay. Which I found quite interesting. Was this movie actually released? No, this movie was never released. Ah, right. So Alex Hyde White comes here and talks to an entire page about a film that will be released at some point, and he's happy to play Reed Richards in subsequent movies... Poor guy. Yeah. The film never came out. It was made purely so the movie makers could hold on to the rights to the Fantastic Four. So they didn't even have to release it? Nope. As long as... As long as the film was made. And it has never been released. I've never seen it. There's part of me that wants to. Yeah. I keep meaning to see but if it's on it may just be like tour. the Nick Fury or Captain America movie, so... Are you going to hate me if I say I quite enjoyed the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie? Did you... What about the Captain America one? Cause you, you watched that, didn't you? I've seen the... F- the 1991? Yeah. Yes, because I like the cast. Darren McGavin's in it. I'll watch anything with Darren McGavin in it. Alright then. The film itself's not very good. Well. But Darren McGavin's good. see shield and his bike helmet. No, that's the 70s movie. You're Is mixing it? them up. Yeah, that's the 70s TV movie. So which one are you on about then? I'm on about the 1990 theatrical Captain America movie that did actually get released. Which one was that? The 1990 Captain America movie. Well, yeah, yeah, but... No, they did actually follow the origin, the Red Skulls in it and everything. The Red Skull was in the one I'm on about. 
I'm free. I think we're mixing the two up. Here. I think I'm mixing okay. the two up. All right, fair enough. Uh, Carnage kill count. Extremely difficult to work out this issue, wasn't it? Big numbers. Yeah, well, despite the wreckage on page one, there is only one dead body. And we only see nine on-panel kills in the deep nightclub. So I would say a very conservative ten. There is, however, one of the patented Hot Comics adverts from All American Comics and Entertainment. Again, I don't think there's much here that we didn't cover in Nightfall. Image as a swimsuit edition. I think we mentioned that before because Marvel has one as well. Savage Dragon vs. Megaton. Okay. I have no idea who Megaton is. Splitting Image. That's yeah. like that's like where there's multiple of them, but... Wow, multiple image. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, multiple Young Bug Blood Comics, Battlezone Yearbook and Strike File. God, some of these names are <laughs> Valiant was apparently popular at the time. Hot Comics! Absolutely nothing of any interest to anyone with any taste. I'm being pithy though. I think we've covered all that before, really. Yeah. To be honest, I don't think we need to cover any of that. Uh, moving you know, I, I, I do recall you saying at the beginning of several shows that we're not here to be negative. You don't like being negative. I'm not being negative. <laughs> You're being very negative. I'm not being negative. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a negative dancer. <laughs> uh, Maximum Carnage, Chapter 7. A negative and a negative and an anal. At- no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's just. That's, no, we don't go anywhere near that. Um. Maximum Carnage Chapter 7 uh, dropped in Amazing Spider-Man 379, which was on sale on the 11th of May 1993 with a July cover date. Another cover of everybody fighting. It's enhanced by an appearance by Deathlock, who I quite like, don't I? Quite yeah. fond of Deathlock. I prefer some issues of Deathlock. Yeah, the reboot, not the 1974 original by Rich Buckler and Doug Mensch. No, but it's the reboot. Yeah. It's not Luther Manning anymore, I'm not interested. It was enjoyable when I was 11. So was this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no idea why Deathlock's here, do you? Because he's in the issue. Yeah, why? Why is he in the issue? To look cool. Oh, uh, God, who knows at this point. Uh, it, he does look cool, I'll give him that. But my thing with Deathlock, he was in the future in 1999, which when the strip was originated in 74 was in the future. How is he in the present now? I have no idea. I've not, I've, I've not got a question. Well, with Bendis, everyone's in it. Is he? In his Avengers, not only is Rom the Space Knight in it, but so is Deathlock. I thought they didn't own the rights to Rom the Space Knight anymore. The Space Knights are in it. Alright, fair enough. Um, the cover's by Bagley and Emberlin, so it's pretty to look at. But not so much when you think... No, it's, it's not a bad cover, that one. Because, again, we've got the white background, which I always think is a quite eye-catching. Yeah. And the Demogoblin's hysterically funny. <laughs> not Demogoblin, Doppelgangbanger. Yeah. He's hysterical, isn't he, with his teeth? But what about the doppel um, the the demo goblins? He not bite his tongue off. He should be. I don't care about him. He's boring. <laughs> <laughs> what about the plan? <laughs> yeah. Well, t- speaking of him, the yeah. demo goblin. Do you remember when he was introduced? Yes. He was trying to kill the doppelganger, wasn't he? And now he's best friends with him. Yeah, yeah. To get his dark power. Where did that go? Where did that subplot go to? Because you do get to a point where you're thinking, why is he even still here? Yeah. It's because of the plan. Uh, what plan? <laughs> it's like Battlestar Galactica, and they have a plan. No, no, they didn't. Did they? Oh, oh, it lets me make a bad film out of stock footage. Oh, do you, mate? This was by David Michelini. It was penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Randy Emberlin, lettered by Rick Parker, coloured by Bob Sharon, and edited by Danny Fingeroff. Tom DeFalco was editor-in-chief, and it was called The Gathering Storm. The Venom Vengeance pack regroup in the ruined remains of the Estes home for boys, where Cletus Cassidy was raised, hoping for a clue to his whereabouts. A clue. 
A clue, a clue, a clue. Gesundheit. There we go. Bit of moonlighting for you. Oh, that's what... All right. Where were we? Given that they've let him go twice already, they only have themselves to blame, really, for losing him. All except Morbius, that is, who has been sent to Ravenscroft Asylum to find out information on Shriek. Because Spider-Man won't work with him. Yeah, because Spider-Man won't work with him. Get that filthy half-blood out of him! Spider-Man's a racist! <laughs> he's racist against people with vampirism! He's got his morals straight, this guy. Oh, dear! He doesn't care on about his wife, and you don't... But he won't work with a vampire! Oh, yeah. Not even a real vampire, but a fake vampire! <laughs> God, Peter... Carnage, Venom points out, has the same weaknesses as he does. So Cloak is dispatched to find Firestar. Oh, we're going to get Iceman as well and we can have an amazing friends <laughs> reunion. Get Miz Lion in. Get that little dog with the bow in the hair going, yip, 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 yip. At least and then Carnage can stand on it. At least there's a reason for why these characters are showing up. There is that, yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, where was that? Oh, yes. Cloak is dispatched to find Firestar as having somebody who can shoot flame seems like a good plan. And the remainder of the Venom Vengeance pack head to the ruined Four Freedoms Plaza to steal the sonic rifle Mr. Fantastic used to remove the symbiote from Spider-Man back in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And destroy the entire building with them. Yeah, well it's already destroyed for some reason, isn't it? No, they they destroy all the security systems. They just love it when a plan comes together. The Carnage Collective have meanwhile taken root in the Metro- Metropolitan Museum, just for the crack, and are attacked by the NYPD's extreme emergency team, who don't seem to be having any problem at all finding Carnage. Maybe Venom should recruit them. Carrion shows up, and bloodletting ensues. Randomly, Deathlock realises there is increased levels of violence throughout the city and decides to eliminate the source. Just randomly. Yeah. Deathlock was like, oh, should I do today, pewter? Well, the internet's still in its infancy, so I can't surf that for Paul. <laughs> but wait, aren't I from the future? Hmm. And there's increased levels of violence. See, we should do something about that. It is the 90s. Could just be normality. All right, Pewter, let's do something about that. <laughs> Random violence escalates, sweeping Richard and May Parker in its wake, and muggers try to rob May's purse. Given that her purse has nothing in it but $10, two credit cards, a hairbrush and a lipstick, Richard Parker decides to kick the crack out of somebody with a piece of wood, and the ensuing chaos forces Spider-Man to spend time intervening instead of retrieving the sonic blaster and finding carnage. Deathlock has no trouble finding Carnage, which seems to be a recurring thread in this story if your name's not Spider-Man. No surprise, really, is the Carnage Collective tearing up Manhattan and fighting McFight and Stein Hattons. Venom manages to locate the Sonic Blaster, but unbeknownst, sets off a hidden alarm. Still, he regroups with Spidey and the Black Cat, along with Cloak, who has found Firestar, but Deathlock has been left trussed up like a Christmas Day turkey, just as Spider-Man delivers a long-winded speech about how science will win the day. Irony! Page 1. Bagley's art's excellent as ever, but he makes the Black Cat's costume look even more impractical. Not only is it slit all the way to the but Bagley draws it with the shoulders really far back. So, as well as pretty much all of the cat's upper body is exposed. It's sexy. But she can't move. Yeah. Practical for crime fighting, though. Not so much. Unless that's your trick, you know. Yeah, unless, like we said last week, that the idea that her boobs may pop out of her top at any minute yeah. just distracts any male adversary. Is that unless a- it's North Star. You're just a North Star after her, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I just think that's why there's so much crime going on when Power Girls are out there. <laughs> I want to get me arrested by that. <laughs> uh, page three, Spider remembers Cloak needs Dagger to teleport, yet seems to be managing. Hmm. Mm. And thus, a major plot point cometh. And yet he's still going on about how upset he feels that... 
Yeah, Cloak's not figured it out. No. Cloak's dumb as dirt. Boy. He's not. He's not at any point going. Wait a minute. I need Dagger to teleport. Yet I'm able to teleport. Hmm. I wonder if that means Dagger's still alive in some way. Spider-Man's figured it out, but Spider-Man says nothing to Whoa. Cloak. Maybe Cloak has figured out. He just doesn't want to think that there's a girl inside him. <laughs> Touch. <clears throat> Page eight and nine. I got a bit pithy. A in bit? The, in the synopsis, yes. Presumably, the museum has a burglar alarm. And maybe even CCTV. <laughs> explain why the NYPD were able to find Carnage much easier than the Venom Vengeance pack. It doesn't explain why none of the heroes have thought to monitor the police band, though. Because doesn't Spider-Man carry a police radio with him? He does, yeah. Not all the time, but he does have one, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, page 12 Mary Jane's in danger of becoming a knife wielding psychopath because look at her first though yeah Mary Jane's psycho when Peter comes home he's right in the balls <laughs> you're gonna stab Peter page 14 is a lovely splash of Deathlock Deathlock was originally Luther Manning first appeared in Astonishing Tales 25 created by Doug Mench and Rich Buckler he was a US soldier reanimated in a post-apocalyptic future as a cyborg with an inbuilt computer system he calls Pewter I loved the original Deathlock strips when they were serialised in the UK I think they were in Star Wars Weekly and I could be misremembering that um, they had fantastic Rich Buckler artwork I haven't followed any of the subsequent Deathlocks so I'm not quite sure how we ended up in our time. Have there been any subsequent Deathlocks? Yeah, I think there's been a couple of different Deathlocks at this point. Because I, I only knew there was the one that I read. Yeah, I think he was the first one, was Luther Manning. And then I think there's been a couple since then. But he was in the Project Pegasus storyline in Marvel 2-in-1, which was also in the present day, I think. Right. So maybe he bounced around in time. I don't remember. With Cable. Yeah, with Cable. <laughs> maybe Deathlock was Cable. Maybe. That would explain a great many things. Uh, page 15. Some lovely action shots of Spider-Man from Matt Bagley. I'm always a sucker for the Spider-Man. It it's all Spider-Man's good for in this story. Yeah, he's, he's not even funny in this one, is he? Yeah. Bagley's artwork's great. That's a brilliant shot of Venom at the top of the same page. That's the swinging shots? Yeah. Just because you think, wow, that's... Yeah, he does a good job of selling the swinging through New York shots, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Bagley's really good. Um, page 18. Richard Parker beats the crap out of Sunday. People are scum. Yeah, with a piece of plywood. <laughs> I mean, he really does launch into that poor bloke, doesn't he? Yeah. And, Mo and Mo Aunt May can say is, oh my. She's like the C-3PO <laughs> of Spider-Man comics. <laughs> isn't she? she just kind of stands there and goes, oh my. God, she's useless. She even looks like C-3PO. Um, page 29. Because she walks like the <laughs> Come back here, Richard. Do not beat that man up, Richard. Oh, my. Um, did you think this was weird? Page 29. And we've gone off the page numbers of the issue here, not the page numbers of the story, because I couldn't be asked. Venom wants to keep hold of the sonic blaster so Spider-Man can't use it on him. In the next panel, Spider-Man's holding it. Yeah. Did you not think that was a bit strange? I thought it was a bit strange how Venom doesn't trust Spider-Man with the thingy, and yet he, he'd, he'd much rather use it on himself and Carnage than trust someone who's trying to save the day. Hmm. There's some great body language on page 30. Venom just leaning casually against the wall and Black Cat sat. I quite like that. That's really good. Hmm. I sometimes give Bagley a bit of a hard time, but that that was uh, that's excellent artwork. Uh, to be fair, because we are trying to be, 
Trying hard. Trying very, very, very hard. Very hard, yes. The fight between Deathlock and the Carnage Collective is pretty damn awesome. And it does actually feel like the story has some traction with the Venom Vengeance pack going after Firestar and the Sonic Blaster to take Carnage down. But there's still. Now, now we have a little bit of plot. Yeah, a little bit of plot development. There's still a surfeit of characters. Hmm. and the dragging along of the story makes the central characters seem rather impotent and useless. Peter ignoring Murray Jane at the end of last issue is exacerbated in this issue and he doesn't even call to let her know he's okay. Both Venom and Black Cat know his identity, so what's the big deal of giving his wife a ring? Yeah. Didn't get that. Peter really is stupid and a very uncurring husband in this issue, and I'm sorry, it really adds credence to my theory that Marvel just didn't know how to write a married Peter Parker. Once married... Murray Jane is his prime responsibility and it's at that point he gives up the costume. I'm not saying he stops helping people like that god-awful bit in Spider-Man 2 where there's that poor guy getting mugged in the alley and Peter looks at it and goes, eh, screw it, it's not my problem. Mm. What? But, you know, he doesn't, he wouldn't go out looking for trouble anymore. MJ is just depicted as so long-suffering in this one, isn't she? Yeah, there's things she does that make her dislikable as well. Yeah. Both of them are dislikable in this. Yeah, and it, it doesn't it doesn't resolve itself particularly well. No. You get to the end of it, and Peter goes, I was right to do what I did! <laughs> but even worse, Murray Jane goes, Peter was right to do what he did! And you're like, no! <laughs> no, he really wasn't. Anyway. Carnage kill count. There are at least eight SWAT team members shown, and none of them make it out alive. There are three dead bodies on page 18, and Shriek blows up a bus with at least four people on it on page 19. There are 11 dead bodies on page 19 as well, courtesy of Carnage, Demogoblin, and Carrion, and at least one more on the floor on page 22. There are also a further eight on the last page. Again, we can't be sure if they're dead or if they're the same people, so estimated number 34. You know, maybe... She says at the end that Peter was right to do what he did because she's scared he may hit her again. <laughs> or hit her for the first time. Uh, is the Clone Saga not happened yet? Clone Saga has not yet happened yet. Right. Uh, there is a very, very sad bullpen bulletins about Bill Mantlo, which I found quite sad. Bill Mantlo was one of those writers who did workmanlike job throughout his entire career. He never became a hot writer, but at the same time, everything he touched was normally, at the very least, readable. Micronauts, Rom, his run on the Hulk, Spectacular Spider-Man, some of his Marvel team-up stuff was all very, very good. Um, He was hit by a hit-and-run driver while out rollerblading and was in a coma. He still is. Is he? He's not in a coma, but he can't look after himself. He's, He's essentially brain dead. Yeah. So his brother looks after him. Uh, it's very sad, and they probably never caught the guy who did it, who, as far as I'm concerned, deserves to rot in hell for the rest of eternity. But I'm not very forgiving. No, you're I? really not. No, I'm, I'm really not. Um, Spider-Man 36 housed the next chapter in the seemingly unending saga of Maximum Carnage. This is more padded than a Bender story. <laughs> oh, that, that's this actually... Makes, this makes Bendis look like Stan the Man. No. It's one of those things... Oh, see... Even Bendis could have done this in a six-issue story arc. Yeah, see, sadly, you're probably right. Bendis probably could have done this as one trade paperback. Yeah. But that's not how it panned out at the time. This story is this long purely because they wanted to launch a new Spider-Man book that was expensive. And the only way they could get you to buy it is if they made two chapters of that expensive book an integral part of the story. Right. It's the only reason this is 14 chapters. I've put money on that. Anyway... 
Chapter 8, for those that are keeping track, is called Hate is in the Air. It dropped on May 18th, 1993, again with a July cover date. Said cover by Tom Lyle has Venom firing the sonic blaster at Carnage, blasting the symbiote away from Cassidy's body. Spidey swings in happily in the background. Which he does, it looks like he's waving. <laughs> hey, Venom! Kill Carnage for me! Good man! Wait, no, don't kill Carnage for me. No, no, don't do that! That's murder! We can't do that! Kill Carnage! No, don't! don't death for no reason! And death for no reason is murder! But there is a reason. So kill him! Kill him dead! Um. <laughs> I'll kill you so hard you die to death. <laughs> kill him. A lot. Uh, pretty good, actually. Um. You're very close to seeing Little Carnage on that cover. Yeah, and given, and given that we've 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 seen Jim Gordon's Little Jim yeah. and Oliver Queen's Little Arrow, I've, I've had quite enough. Moving on, uh, Lyle has the three figures in a step fashion, hmm. so that Carnage is in the foreground, Venom's in the centre, and Spidey's at the back. So your eye follows the action in quite a pleasing way. I quite like that cover. Um, this one was again written by Terry Kavanagh. <laughs> with art by Tom Lyle and Scott Hanna Tinsley and Moran did the colours Rick Parker lettered Fingeroff and DeFalco were editor and editor-in-chief respectively still trussed up from the end of last issue Deathlock is rescued by Iron Fist because once again Kavanagh obviously thought there wasn't enough useless characters in this story already in the Daily Bugle offices of J. Jonah Jameson Venom intimidates Jonah into printing something for them only Firestar seems to have a problem with this. At the converted loft of Mary Jane and Peter Parker in Soho, Peter's parents and Aunt May are dropping by when they are accosted by thugs. Flash Thompson tries to help because nothing says fear me like wearing a wife-beater vest, but is soon overcome. Fortunately, the Molten Man also lives here because he's Mrs. Harry Osborn's half-brother and he kicks the crap out of the bad men. Everyone then has an exposition-laden chat whilst in Brooklyn, the Carnage Collective listen intently as Cletus tells his tale of woe, of boarding schools and tough love, and how it made him the maniac he is today. Interrupting his bedtime lullaby, the Venom Vengeance pack arrive, but the fight is stopped before it begin with before it can begin with a flashback to where Morbius is. The fight then continues. Firestar has little effect on Carnage, so Venom opens fire with the sonic blaster, and the pair of them together seem to be making good progress. The symbiote is removed from Cassidy's body, and Venom moves in for the kill, but Spider-Man stops him, a shriek swoops in, cuts Cletus with a slap to the face, and as the symbiote is now permanently bonded to his bloodstream, Carnage returns. Read the same synopsis over and over again and see if anybody noticed. You probably could. Page one's a great splash page, Jonah. I'll give it that. Tom Lyle is a really, really good artist. Whatever happened to Tom Lyle? Page two, I've got a question for you. Go on. It's a lovely two page splash. Yeah. Lyle's not quite as good at the body language as Matt Bagley is because Black Cat looks really uncomfortable though. She looks very sucking her stomach in, sticking her tits out. She looks very let's show off to Jonah. Have you heard of page three? <laughs> they may not have in America, actually. They may? No, I don't think they have page three in America. Do they not the have newspapers. dodgy newspapers like we do? Oh, they have dodgy newspapers, but yeah. I don't think they have topless women on page three. Fair enough. We're a very involved culture here. <laughs> well, we only look at it because you're like doing, ah, KT23, uh, thinks that the immigration... Oh yeah, it's the son of that. It's wonderful. It reminds me of that Shakespearean quote. It's like, Katie probably can't spell Shakespeare. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, Spider-Man is firing a web at the door as Jonah walks in. Yeah. What is the point of what he's doing? He's not webbed the door shut. He's just shutting it. He's just shutting the door. 
What? 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 Is that what he's done? He's closed the door behind Jonah. Could he not have waited a second for Jonah to close the door himself? Could Firestar not have just stood behind the door and shut it for him? Well, makes no sense. And Jonah goes around calling Spider-Man a menace, and Spider-Man just jumps in his office and closes doors, breaking an entry. Yeah. Well, Spider-Man's not a menace. Oh no, 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 no. Um, page three. To be fair, Kavanaugh does characterise Jonah wonderfully here. He don't take no guff from the superpowered set and even when Venom intimidates him he rationalises it by saying that it's his duty to get them to slaughter each other which I'll be honest actually made me laugh intentionally yeah. as opposed to the mocking laughs I've done many times throughout reading this story um, page 5 what, did you think this one was very choppily edited? I, I thought a lot of them the scene transitions in this one I thought were particularly jarring mm. um, there's a scene where Carnage kills a man for his newspaper that has no payoff and appears from nowhere. I honestly thought when I was reading this for the first time, because that appears just before an advert, yeah. you turn the page and it's a completely different scene. Mm. And you're like, I thought a page was missing out of my comic. It was like, so what did he kill him for? For the newspaper? But he rips up the newspaper. But he rips up the newspaper him. while he kills him. Maybe he just wanted to kill him. But he's got he's got an excellent target of a head there. Yeah. Could he not just shoot him through that? It's it's no it's just not very well thought out. Then we get the scene at the park as where they're attacked outside Peter and MJ's flat. After the caption box tells us that trouble hasn't reached here yet. Hmm. Which was like, really? And yet the taxi driver says... Yeah, danger pay, buddy, for yeah. bringing you here. But the caption box says there's no trouble here yet. And it's written by the same guy! Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't think that made much sense. Then there's a silly fight with Flash and the Molten Man, which ends abruptly and serves no purpose. Then Spider-Man and Co. show up for the big fight scene that each of these comics is written around. But then they interrupt it twice. Once to show us Iron Fist rescuing Deathlock, and once to show us that Morbius is having a nap. Yeah, well, what was the deal with Molten Man? Wasn't he a bad guy? Molten Man's a good guy at this point. He's reformed. Oh, just like Sandman. Yeah. With the... Avengers. Yeah. Right. But then Sandman went back to being a bad guy, didn't he? Yeah. Um, the Deathlock stuff plays into a later issue. So, okay. <laughs> but the Morbius material is completely redundant. Yeah. I thought the Carnage origin was pretty... He, he interrupts the, um, the his origin just to break a wall and then get someone else to clean it up for him. Yeah. It's just, it's just not very well thought through. I don't think. I do find it really strange that in America, none of these street gangs have guns. Yeah. That struck me as really, really odd. Were they not allowed to use guns in, this, in comics or something? Oh, but they're allowed to have carnage do wholesale slaughter. Yeah. That makes no sense. Um, as long as he's his fists and no. not guns. It's yeah, as long as he's carving people up, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, page nine, carnage is a music lover. Yeah. Okay. Did you notice? He references the Alex Cooper song, Welcome to My Nightmare. Right. And two Beatles numbers, Magical Mystery Tour and Long and Winding Road, in the space of three panels. Okay. Carnage's origins, I thought, was nicely retold, for those unfamiliar with it, and actually has good reason for being retold rather than just being exposition. Primarily because it hasn't been told yet. We're, what, yeah. eight issues into this storyline and they've not told us anything about the main bad guy. He doesn't know anything about Shriek, but... No, and we continue to not find out very much about Shriek okay. throughout the entire series. Um, Carnage shows just how cowardly he really is when faced with his own death at the hands of Venom. Because he's all, oh, don't hurt me. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. But, um, you know. The rest of the issue is just standard fighting that we've seen in all the other chapters. It's very well done, 
because the art by Tom Lyle and Scott Hanna is great. Spidey looks particularly good because they depict him in red and black for most of the issue instead of red and blue. But there doesn't actually feel like there's a reason for this fight. Combining the Sonic Blaster and Firestar's powers is very well done. And Venom has carnage on the ropes until Spider-Man stops him from killing him. Which is really the only notable thing Spider-Man does in this issue. He's kind of a guest star in his own story. As the main through line is carnage and Venom. The only thing he does actually do, he does wrong. Well... See, you're you're into an interesting moral point, though. If Spider-Man lets carnage be killed at the hands of Venom that's it they can start and everyone can recover is Spider-Man tacitly responsible for Carnage's death no it was Venom okay fair enough moving on <laughs> <laughs> um, there's too many characters as well isn't there yeah in addition to the very linear nature of the story Spidey's just kind of getting lost in the shuffle well did they make action figures out of this no but they made a yes, video game yes they did they did make they? A, I've got um, a Venom Carnage 2 pack that was done for this branded as a was, was, it, was it part of the game promotion as well I have no idea because it's the game I think that people remember for this yeah despite the choppy scene transitions and pointless moments why is Morbius even in this issue yeah this is pretty decent dialogue wise there's still some over the top moments but um, without Cloak around to be pompous Kavanaugh reigns it in and Carnage's dialogue when he dishes the secret origin is quite funny with some decent wordplay. The boy becomes a maniac and malicious mystery tour be my favourite. I thought they were quite good. Um, Again, there's no good ads but a hot comics ad that is two pages long. The Marvel Illustrated that we mentioned last time is printed on glossy, high-quality paper for you to pull over. This all-new 48-page full-colour magazine features gorgeous babes in skimpy swimwear. One of our best sellers ever! I wonder why. You know... Did Jim Lee have anything to do with it? For some reason. Yeah. It's really hard to find that magazine in good condition. (laughs) I don't know why that would be. Yeah. And there's a lovely shot of Electra... Electra... Yeah. Bending over... In the pool. She looks very pale. Is she dead at this point? <laughs> a bit of necrophilia, Dave. <laughs> uh, the X-Men celebrate 30 again. I think we've mentioned all that before. Violet Sabretooth gets his own comic by Mark Texiera. Oh, Marvel Frontier. Young Blood and Bloodshot. Was that Liffield by any chance? Which one? Deathmate. That one. Yeah, Jim Lee and Rob Liffield. That looks truly awful. Mm. Deathmate Zero, Deathmate Black, Deathmate Blue, Deathmate Red, Deathmate Yellow. What? That's where Hulk gets it from. Yeah. <laughs> He's caught it off death, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marvel Frontier features Britain's most talented artists and writers and looks exceptional, it says here. But the only talented writer and artist it mentions is Liam Sharp. But they all have blood seed. <laughs> oh, see, I'm not so that. Is that where you get the month? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's got a gold ink cover. Okay. Children of Voyager has a glow-in-the-dark cover. Is that what happens when couples from... Um, the Voyager's having kids. Dances with Demons. Oh, dear God, as a foil cover, but get this tagline. Blood and Destruction. <laughs> oh, dear me. The 90s were so vacuous in many ways, weren't they? Immortals, foil-stamped cover. Razorling. What? It's, it's made of razors. Clive Barker shave, and Marvel. Shave your beard. Come here, Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Look what we did to Mr. Morrison. Um, Ecto Kid, Hokum and Hex, and Hyperkind, all by Ecto-kid. Clive Barker. 
They have prismatic foil covers. Prismatic? And they are hot. How do you get a prismatic cover? Like a triangle, like on Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, very good. Yeah, possibly. That'd be great. Sabretooth was can't miss, but apparently not hot. It has a ferocious die cut cover. I see what they did, though. Yeah, it's very good. Sabretooth was a can't miss, but was. Yeah. (laughs) Image, a pumping out brigade, Cyberforce Zero, Dooms 4. I think we've mentioned all this drivel before. The plug-in Nightfall. Comics Greatest World from Dark Horse. Golden City in Arcadia. Was any good before Robert Kirkman joined? No, Image was crap. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry if you love Image and you grew up with Image. Go back and read them as an adult, the crap. <laughs> I'm reading this as an adult and it's crap. Yeah, all the Image stuff. Uh, 1963 was hot. Bloodshite, sorry, Bloodstrike. <laughs> Introduces a deadly new strike team, blah, well, story blah, told blah, about blah, blah, that, blah. That um, issue of Spider-Man where he plays... Um, baseball with aliens and oh said, yeah worst issue ever that guy said it was his favourite and you learned a lesson about what your opinions and other people's opinions have you forgotten that lesson I've not <laughs> forgotten that lesson I just have a hard time taking all these comics that have the word blood in them seriously <laughs> especially when they spell it wrong um ETM's mega hits Alien vs Predator 2 written by Chris Clermont I've never read that one I've read the first Aliens vs Predator that I actually thought was quite good Secret weapons, the most powerful, valiant characters unite. It's hot. But we can't tell you about them because the secret. We are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, mega hits in the, the, the trading cards bit. Spa, Star Trek. Spa Trek? Is that where you just go from spa to spa yeah. and rate the jacuzzis out of ten? <laughs> this one shot right up my bottom. It was most pleasant. <laughs> um... Union number one, apparently it's not a card, I don't know what that is. Ultraverse, cards... Well, cards, Venom. cards are still a hit, aren't they? C- cards are very big at this point in the 90s, yeah. Valiant still cards, now, Wizard Comic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and other stuff. That's it for that one. <laughs> we, we even got our Pokemon cards out of school today. Did you? Yeah. You play with your Pokemon? We do now. Oh. We, we've moved from playing our card games to Pokemon card games. Um... Carnage kill count for the issue of the newspaper reader on page five. That's it. One. He's not even trying, is he, at this point? He was trying just to get one kill in the issue. (laughs) Finally for tonight, because Michael's only read four issues. You said it was only four. No, be honest. That's all you could bring yourself to read. I only read this a couple of hours before we recorded (laughs) as well. Uh, the story Extra ten continued. minutes I had in school. So you read this at school. Yeah. Uh, the story continued into Spectacular Spider-Man 202, which was written by J.M. DeMatteis, with art by Sal Buscema, letters by Joe Rosen, colours by Bob Sharon, Rob Tokar edited, Danny Fingeroth and Tom DeFalco handled the other editing chores. Maximum Carnage Part 9 was called to The Turning Point and released on May 25th, 1993. With Carnage revitalised after the realisations of last issue, Spider-Man turns into a pussy demanding the team regroup and work out a plan. With Firestar quick realising that the Venom Vengeance pack are almost as bad as the Carnage Collective, Spidey and she um and ah and um and oh, whilst Venom just leaps back into the fray. 
Black Cat informs Spidey and Firestar that moral high ground has no place when Carnage has killed as many as he has. Andrew looked at the Spidey and Firestar re-engaging the battle. Andrew was scratching his head wondering where all the police and the SWAT team and the rest of New York's heroes are when Venom has killed Venom, when Carnage has killed so many people, but we'll let that slide because there's enough characters in this story already. Reluctantly, Spidey and Firestar re-engaging the battle after conceding that, yeah, okay, you've got a point. Cloak and Shriek get into it with Cloak running away like a screaming schoolgirl when Shriek informs him that she was always a strung out groupie and the trip inside his cloak made her worse so without cloak she would never have been around to kill dagger so it's all his fault circular logic there but okay whatever <laughs> she recruits some civilians because apparently she can transmit her psychic insanity surrounding people and this has been augmented by carnage's presence which is why new york is going straight to hell seems legit yeah it didn't seem like that came out of it of nowhere at all oh, did yeah. it Morbius is taken down by Demogoblin, whilst concerned for the Black Cat, who is taken out of the fight by civilian Shriek zombies. Firestar attacks Carnage, and he flees, leading Venom to the conclusion that Carnage was lying about not being affected by Fire and Sonics anymore. Venom says that the only way to defeat Carnage is to keep flaming him until he's dead. And I don't mean, like, flaming him, like, on a message board. I mean, like, you know, actually setting him on fire. Roth Lawls, herder. <laughs> this sucks! Spider-Man agrees and, stunned, Firestar lets it all hang out. She has Carnage on the ropes, down, begging for mercy, when Spider-Man says, Stop the fight! Yes, he's turned into Rocky's wife. <laughs> he's mistaken, and becoming a murderer makes them no better than Carnage. Instead of pressing the attack whilst Carnage is down, Venom instead attacks Firestar, saying she has let down the innocents, and Spider-Man is forced to fight Venom, who clobbers Spider-Man. Shriek and Carnage are now back to full power, and Shriek's sonic blast pound at Venom, stripping him of the symbiote, and the pair of them beat the living tar out of Eddie Brock. But, because he's a series regular, they don't actually kill him. They take off with Eddie's beaten body as Spider-Man crawls back, bloody and beaten, only to see Captain America offering him a hand. Give the man a hand. He could do it. He's not even the main character in no series anymore. Um, is this where the, the the raging begins? No, not raging. Um, I mean, to be fair, again, the art complements the story very well. I think B. Simmons is one of the like the second best. Yeah, main he's, artist. He's consistently good. It's it's nice that somebody is bringing their A I game like to this. Lines. Yeah, he's in a, he's an exceptionally underrated artist, Sal Buscema. Yeah, I've said before that in the seventies when I was like younger than you, I didn't like his stuff. Yeah, and it's only as I've got older and realised that in a lot of cases it was his inkers that were letting him down, hmm. and the fact that because he could churn this stuff out on time, Marvel just kept throwing books at him. Yeah, and stuff like this where he's penciling and inking it himself. He's really good, isn't he? Mm. His artwork's very, very good. It complements the speed of the story with a six-panel splash page that opens up to a wonderful two-page spread, just showing how great at composition Buscema is. Page four, where the cat goes into a little tirade um, about them playing Mr. and Mrs. Moral Superiority, but while she, you're moaning and wringing your hands... Yeah, she does have a point to be honest, instead of just getting on with it. If yeah. you stop whining and, you know, don't go and visit Aunt May for a cup of tea, maybe you could have finished this all off. If we'd have done this job right, we could have uh, done it in one issue. We could have done it in unlimited one, yeah, instead yeah. of four issues. Uh, there's a Murray Jane page that's only in the issue to remind us that A, she's still around, and B, she's still smoking. Yeah, that, that, she, she annoyed me there as well. She was like, I hate this boot guard. No, I used to like this as a kid. Oh, I hate it now. I hate Peter. No, I love him. Oh, Peter. <laughs> Um, there's a wonderful sideways panel 
you have to turn the book sideways. It's one splash page on its side by Buscema of the fight scene that is really good, mm. isn't it? I really did like that. Um, Shriek relentlessly tears a strip off Cloak, more with her words than her actions, and it's actually a very powerful scene. Well, now that he's wearing clothes under his cloak. Yeah, he's got clothes back on under his cloak now, so <laughs> he's not walking around opening his cloak and flashing people in the middle of the park. Because you can't get arrested for that now. No. no Always good. Apparently not if you're a super. Does that not add, add it to another crime on your vigilanteism? <laughs> flashing. Flashing. The flash. That's <laughs> a whole new flash. <laughs> Granted, Shriek being able to make everyone around her insane doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Being as there doesn't seem to be any real explanation as to how she does it. Do the people stay insane? Does she have to come into direct contact? Does it spread like an airborne virus? But at least it's an explanation. Maybe it's like pheromones or something. Yeah. Again, this is the kind of stuff... I mean, I do refer to it as pheromones in the in the synopsis, I think. Uh, this is the kind of stuff Di Matteis is, is his bread and butter. He's good at the psychological stuff. And actually making Cloak feel that he is in any way responsible for Dagger's death is actually a good way of torturing the character. Even though as a reader you're going, but he's not. Yeah. And and when are you going to figure out that, that you can't teleport without Dagger? Yeah. Are you going to figure that out, Cloak? Anytime soon? <laughs> he's not... Just not pump- coming along? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Characters, friends become enemies, enemies become friends. Rising action. Um, I don't know what I was going to say there. I forgot. It can't be important. Uh, page 14. Spidey's change of heart regarding letting Firestar kill Carnage seems to come out of left field and is a bit out of character unless we assume Shriek's pheromones are affecting him as well it's certainly implied they're affecting Venom but he's a nut job anyway so we don't really notice I didn't mind Spider-Man stopping Firestar from killing Carnage because then you're letting, an then you're letting somebody become a murderer yeah so I thought let Venom's absolutely yeah let Venom does absolutely fine that 22 year old cop oh yeah I didn't I had a problem with Spider-Man actually encouraging her to do it in the first place. Yeah. I thought that was a bit out of character, but you needed this dramatic scene. Page 15, speaking of this dramatic scene, is a great 12-page grid contrasting the three different characters' viewpoints on where Spidey's having his change of heart about killing Carnage, Venom's just goading her on, and Firestar presses on uncertainly. Excellent page. Mm. Really, really well done. Art and story complementing each other wonderfully. Page 18 has five long panels across the page of Venom moving slowly towards Shriek as she pummels him with her sonic blasters. Also an exceptional piece of artwork. And again, art and writing complement each other wonderfully. Before we get to page 21 and 22, which again is on its side as a two-panel splash and it's a great shot of Captain America. Until you realise that Captain America's shown up. He must have seen Carnage fight Venom and all of them. So he must have seen what was going on. But he doesn't join in. No, he just gives Spider-Man a hand. You could argue a case he shows up as they're swinging away. But why, what was he doing then? Just going for a walk in Central Park? Why was he in Central Park? Well, why was Carrion just floating around New York? And why was Doppelgangbanger just hanging around on a rooftop? There doesn't seem to be any need to explain why the characters are just hanging around. But it's Captain America, though. Surely if if, if there's any need for Captain America to be out, it's to save all those people's lives. Yeah, and if he's out, where are all the rioters going on? What's he doing just hanging around in Central Park? Yeah. Good point. Unless we start with these Walkman reading a book. (laughs) Catching up on his tunes and... 
Yeah, it's just like, I've just discovered this Rolling Stones band. Yeah. Wow. Did you know Paul McCartney left the Beatles to form Wings? Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, I'm done on the road. <laughs> this live and let die tune's jolly good. What, what, what's, what's on the fire over there? Oh, wait. Oh, oh, fire. Arthur Brown. That's an excellent song. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know what Arthur Dent did next. <laughs> I hope he's remembered his towel. Uh, all things considered. Why is Captain America British now? That's <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I've got a clue. Sorry. We already have our own heroes. <laughs> I just like the idea of Captain America reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Those blasted Vogons. Um, oh, they remind me of the scroll. <laughs> Bloody awful poetry. Um, all things considered, getting back to the notes, uh, this was actually a very good chapter. Apart from the ending, which Michael thinks makes no sense. Uh, James DeMatteis, again, like Tom DeFalco, is too good of a writer to let a crossover like this get him down, and he manages to produce a fast-paced and extremely well-structured continuous fight scene that manages to gloss over the implausibilities and inbuilt problems with the story whilst you're reading it. They only niggle at you when you put the comic down. But it's still quite... It doesn't serve any purpose to the overall story. Yes, it does, this one. You see that the Sonic Blast is not affecting Carnage. But it's affecting Venom. But affects Venom, and they actually capture Venom. Yeah. Why he didn't just cut his throat, I well, didn't understand. Why Venom didn't go to kill Carnage, or yeah. any of them actually went to kill Carnage. Yeah, I mean, th- th- like I said, once you've read it and you put the comic down, there are problems. Like, why not let Firestar burn Cletus until the symbiote is weak and powered down, and then just kick the crap out of him? Hmm. Why, when Firestar does exactly that, inadvertently, but that's what she ends up doing, does Venom waste time attacking her and not just beat on Carnage? Why does he not just head over to him and just pound his head into paste? He doesn't, does he? He just goes, oh, I'm going to kick the crap out of Firestar now because I beat up women. (laughs) Which is another reason not to think of him as being a hero. Why does everybody else just stand around when a character has their moment in the sun? For example, why does Shriek not go after Firestar, or have her zombies go after Firestar, when she's distracted going flat out at Carnage? Because hmm. they were all just kind of watching. Yeah, what's going to happen now? Oh, all right. oh yeah, uh, back to action. Yeah, it's, it's silly. Where's Doppelgangbanger, Carrion and Demogoblin gone? They just disappear halfway through the Where did they come issue. from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? What is their secret? Does anybody know? Batgirl! <laughs> I was doing Batgirl, you were doing Cotton Eye Joe. Oh, was the taste of I prefer to do Batgirl. Uh, the art is wonderful throughout. Basima still doesn't have a handle on Black Cat, unfortunately. But there's a sideways splash on page six that I've mentioned that's beautiful. And a final two-page splash also on its side of Captain America that is likewise wonderful. And it's on its side, like the writers who wrote this. Can I be asked to write it? Or? Yeah, see, the problem with this is it doesn't feel like this is anybody's vision. Mm. at all it just feels like oh, okay whatever let's do it to make stuff. toys oh video games I'll launch a new book in this case there's no interesting ads this time but the bullpen bulletins page is all about the Spider-Man summits where the creators get together to plot out next year's worth of comics well, these have become oh, obviously Maximum Carnage wasn't a part of that no well they're talking about Maximum Carnage ending right. so they're talking about the next year's worth um, these have become the standard where creators plot out characters that have a number of different titles with the Batman, Superman and the X-Men titles all following this template. This page tells us that the upcoming year will give us the answer to the mystery of 
Peter's parents, the resolution of the MJ smoking storyline, and a more Venom miniseries. Did she die of cancer until Peter then makes a, de- a deal with the devil? <laughs> I'm just having a actually. Having MJ die of cancer due to smoking would have solved all of Marvel's marriage problems, yeah. wouldn't it? And you'd have your, um, like, hidden messages yeah, there as well. Yeah, no marriage and an anti-smoking storyline to boot. Yeah. Win-win! Wow, that was a bit dark, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. We had a bit dark at the end, though. Uh, no mention of the Clone Saga in the bullpen. Why was that page. next yes. year? That would, I think that was the year after. Right. So that'll have been mooted at the next one, I presume. Um, I hope it's not by reading this page that Jane DiMatteis learned he was off Spectacular Spider-Man. Was it? Because it mentions in the bullpen bulletin page, Stephen Grant, new Spectacular Spider-Man writer. Can you just imagine Jane DiMatteis reading that and going, What? <laughs> What, but you were, were you going to tell me? But I have a year worth of story planned out. Oh. <laughs> I, just yeah. bought, I just bought a car. This is the guy from Office Space. Yeah, we're going to need you to have those scripts in. The guy from Office Space with his mug in his hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not you, really working for me. Office did, Space did, is a great Did film. you not get the memo? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Idiocracy? I've not, no. By the same people. No. You need to watch Idiocracy. Welcome to Costco, we love you. Um, Carnage Kill Count, absolutely no. Zero. Big fat zilch. Bringing the kill count for this episode up to... 34, 35. 45 kills in total for this issue. Bringing the total overall thus far to 164 deaths so far. It's pretty decent. Only Mark Miller could top that. Yeah. Um, they beat the crap out of Eddie Brock. Yeah. So I don't know if that counts. Anyway, Michael's not read anymore, so I'm throwing him under a bus. The only thing that died in this story was theatre. <laughs> the only thing that died in this story was my will to live. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm quite enjoying this. Well, I think I, I'm probably enjoying it for the reasons you enjoyed Secret Wars. I can I can see why I enjoy this as a ten-year-old. Yeah. But I'm not enjoying it now. Hmm. No. <clears throat> right. Our duology in three parts continues next week, where we'll be covering the last five chapters of Maximum Carnage. We hope you've enjoyed this. We hope. We hope. I mean, one of us has to. One of us has to. I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. I, I thought it was quite fun. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that. Uh, thank you very much to all the people that emailed in. Uh, all the people at Facebook. Special thanks again to Steve Rogers for getting that Jimmy Permiardi mm-hmm. audio clip, which was very nice. Thank yeah. you. Um, and go and check out all that other stuff that we did, because whoring myself out. At some point, I'm hoping we'll lead to money. Yeah. I'm hoping at some point somebody will say, oh, we're just going to pay you to do this. I, I don't think it will, but... No, yeah. I don't either. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as A morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as John's got Brewer's fruit, he gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons They love a bit of him Who's that gut lord marching? You should cut down on your pork life mate, get some exercise
kids comics is that the devil will make work for idle hands to do the production and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks internet radio network at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com So if you're one of those people who wants to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. I get up when I want, except on Wednesdays when I get rudely awakened by the dustman. I put my trousers on, have a cup of tea, and I think about leaving the house. I feed the pigeons, I sometimes feed the sparrows too. It gives me a sense of enormous well-being. And then I'm happy for the rest of the day. Safe in the knowledge there will always be a bit of my heart devoted to it. You know? And it's not about you joggers who go round 